going to address the topic of holiness here tonight. And I know that word holiness uh, has somewhat taken a beating or gotten a negative connotation in some circles. And it's not, uh, I, I don't know necessarily, I guess, the reason for that. But uh, there is another term that I do like to use and utilize uh, to really explain what holiness is. And that's lifestyle convictions. Lifestyle convictions. And that's because lifestyle convictions really describes very well what it is that we are going to talk about. Because these are strong convictions that you have that are regarding parts of your lifestyle. The way that you live your life. And we do not try to say that someone is less spiritual if they do not yet understand this. Or uh, we, we realize that it is something that God is, He will draw you and He will, uh, He will draw you closer and closer to Him. And as you get closer to God, uh, there are different convictions that will take place in your life. And, and there are, these ought to be biblically rooted, but also at times they are rooted just in your own life experience. That's only for yourself. There's things that God would call you to do or not to do. Uh, and and there's parts of your lifestyle that will change and be altered as as you have are in relationship with God, and so you have different convictions that might set in that are only for you, but it's because your lifestyle was such in you know one point in your life, and then God God called you, uh, and as He's drawing you closer to Him, and you're in relationship with Him. There are certain things and certain convictions that uh, you will develop in your life. And uh, I I believe that uh, we as a church need to stand for holiness. Amen? That that God's people are a holy people. And uh, here tonight, I don't want to come with a a club. I don't want to come and just try to try to, you know, tell you what to do. I just want to just let enlighten the word of God or let read the Word of God and allow that to enlighten us here tonight. And so uh, that's our goal, is to just let the Word speak to us here tonight. And I'm going to start with a scripture that comes to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says here that the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So we're talking about holiness, but here... Is the word W H O L L Y, meaning holy or completely, totally. So we say, May God sanctify you totally or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, notice that, your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. So when he says holy, that's what he means. Every part of you. We are all made of spirit, soul, and body. That all of us have those three uh, parts of our nature, that we have spirit, soul, and body. And so he says that we ought to sanctify us holy spirit, soul, and body, that we may be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And so, right here in this little passage that we begin with in our Bible study here tonight, there's three things that I want to really pull out from that, uh, three different areas. And first of all, is that we learn that sanctification, or holiness, is about maturing in every area of our being. That in all of who we are, there is a maturity process that ought to take place. It has to happen Totally. It has to happen completely. This is a maturity that it it may not be an instantaneous thing, or it very likely is not going to be an instantaneous thing. And that is why I have absolutely no problem with a new person who doesn't, a new disciple who doesn't understand all of these things. And God has saved them. They 
have repented of their sins, if they've been baptized in Jesus' name, they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, they are just as saved as I am. They are just as ready for the rapture as anybody else. Not anybody else, but anybody else who's experienced that. But if they live on this planet for very long, the Spirit of God will lead them into holiness and complete maturity. We shouldn't stay the same today or 10 years from now as we are the night that we receive the Holy Ghost. There's maturity that takes place. There is a maturing process that happens that we would be sanctified, holy, and matured as we draw closer to God, as, as we allow this relationship with God to change us because, uh, because He is drawing us nearer to Him. And But, but I, I love also that second verse that we had there. Uh, verse 24, because it says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So we learn there, it says, faithful is he, not, not faithful is, is me, but faithful is he. It's not of our own power that we do this. It is God's power, really, that does the work of sanctification in us. It is God who leads us and grows us and matures us. It is God who does it. It's the Spirit of God in us that works sanctification in us or works holiness in us. And finally, this, this third aspect here is that sanctification, and I brought it out as we we're reading the scripture, but sanctification happens in these three areas of our life. It happens in our spirit, it happens in our soul, and it happens in our body. And a lot of people are very content to have holiness happen in their spirit because they want to be saved. They understand that the Bible says that without holiness, no man can see God. So they want holiness in their spirit. They want their spirit to be reunited with God. And so they want holiness in that aspect. And some people, they also want holiness in their mind because they want the peace of God that surpasses our own peace, what we can get. And they, they want his love and his forgiveness. And so they want holiness in their spirit. They want holiness in their mind. But we also need holiness in our body as well. And it affects, holiness affects our outward life, our appearance, the things, our, our actions, the things that we do, the places that we go. It affects our body. And here's, and there's a scripture in, in uh, in Isaiah, I don't think I have it marked here uh, in, our, in our notes, but in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And this really is the day that we're living in right now. That This is the era that we're living in, that people want God to save them, but they don't necessarily want to do everything. They don't want to make him the Lord of their life. And, and so, so here tonight, I, I want to just, just look at this from a holistic part because this is what scripture said. It's, it's part of our, our spirit, our soul, and our body that all experience holiness or sanctification. Those two words, I'm, I'll use them interchangeably tonight. Sanctification, holiness, because uh, they are synonymous uh, with with each other holiness and sanctification uh, are, are really the same thing of what's what's taking place this process of being drawn out from the world and separated un, unto God but I I brought these three if you were here last week I brought these same three aspects of our of ourselves uh, up about salvation that in salvation our spirit, soul, and body were all affected. That our spirit, uh, we receive the spirit of God and our spirit is changed. That our soul or our, our mind is, is changed because in our mind we have that, um, we have that repentance that takes place. Uh, we have in our body a, an actual baptism that, that affects our body. And so we have 
those three areas of us that are affected in salvation. But the same is, is true. Same takes place in, uh, in holiness that all three areas ought to be affected. But I want to, I want to dive into and, or look at this fact that God himself is the one who really is the, is the example for us of holiness. That God himself is holiness, or is holy. And he calls us to be holy as he is holy. We, we need to understand that holiness is not something that is just a doctrine that can be set aside and obeyed or not obeyed. But holiness is an essential doctrine for salvation. That the only that the only way to get to heaven is all is to be holy. You need to be holy in order to get to heaven. We see it says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, follow peace with all men. And even though we're not focusing on that tonight, that is an important part of this scripture. <laughs> follow peace with all men and holiness. I'm not going to I'm not going to focus on the final peace with all men, but let's not discard that when we look at the scripture. That we ought to live peaceably with others. That we ought to follow peace with all men. But it also does say, and holiness, follow holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And there's really two shades of meaning for this scripture. There's, there's two ways that it could be interpreted. Either one leads us to an understanding that we need holiness in our life, you could look at this scripture and, and it, it's interpreted to mean that you will not go to heaven and see God without holiness in your life. And that's backed up by other scriptures as well, that, that we must be holy in order to inherit eternal life. That a life of holiness, a life that is set apart from the world, is, is necessary for our salvation. But also, no one else will see the Lord if there is no distinction that pulls you apart from other people. Read it. Follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That others will not be able to see God unless the church, the body of Christ, has been set apart from the world. And I said it. I said it just a couple of weeks ago, Sister Laura just uh, reminded me before service, uh, that, that you may be the only Jesus that others see. And you are the body of Christ. And when others see you, they ought to see somebody who acts different from the world, who, who, who reacts to situations differently, who looks differently, who talks differently, who doesn't entertain the same types of things that the world entertains, that you, your life ought to be built around something that is different than what the rest of the world's life is built around. See, holiness is supposed to be something that makes you different. And there's a good reason for that. And it's because, one, it likens us to God who is very different. He is holy in a, in a completely uh, different different way he is completely different from every uh, from all of creation but but we are, ourselves are called to be holy or separated from the world and to be different so that we can see God and also so that others can see God in us they say god 's holiness is a really of, of great importance throughout scripture that it is a God. We serve a God who is holy. That God is set apart. He is distinct. He's different. And it is a special cause for our awe and our adoration. This, this fact that God is holy. This is what the angels are singing all the time up in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. They are in awe. They are in adoration of the holy God that is in heaven. Holy. Holy, 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 holy. They're around the throne and constantly singing, holy, holy. This is, this is what the, the angels are sing, singing, uh, singing in heaven is 
about the holiness of God. That God is holy. That He is holy. He's, he's set apart from all other things. That there is not uh, God and His foil, the devil. There is not God and, and the one who is just like Him. That is, that is the devil that is opposing Him. No, the devil was created by God. He is not of the same nature of God. He is not the same as God. God is one and there is none like Him. There's none like Him. And really, really as, as we draw closer to, and closer to God, and when I say draw closer and closer to God, what, and what I mean by that is, is that as you truly do allow God to, to come into the areas of your life that you open up and you're vulnerable, and you, be, you allow Him into those areas and you, and you allow Him to begin to change those things, there's, there's, there's a closeness and, and a relational closeness with our Creator, that He begins to reveal Himself. And as He reveals Himself, we see His love, we see His mercy, we see His grace, but we also see uh, the fact that, that God is, is not calling us just to live like everybody else, but He's saying, hey, you don't have to live like that anymore. The things that you've been bound by, like the things that you've been struggling with, why don't you... Let me into those areas so that I can help you to come out from them. So that I can help you to be free from those, those bondages and help you to be free from those things that you've been dealing with so much. And, and we, when we get, the, when we see God in this aspect and we see Him, the only one who is truly able to save us, that ought to bring some awe and adoration in us of God. That ought to bring us to a place where we are saying, God, thank you that you are not like the gods of this world. That's just going to lead me to darkness. That's just going to lead me into despair. That's the gods of this world. They have high hopes and they have high promises, but they can't, they don't come through in their promises. But God, you do. You are unlike everything else. And I adore you. I am in awe of who you are. So God's holiness, he's, he's unlike anything else that we could ever serve. There, there is no other God that can heal somebody of cancer. There's no other God. And then I say no other God. You, you say, well, there, there's only one God. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of gods that people have in this world that they serve. There's no one else. There's nothing else. That is able to come in and heal a marriage like God can heal a marriage. There's nothing else. There's no other God that is able to come in and is, is able to, to secure us or to, to bring us into a place of peace of mind like God is able to. And when we understand this, that He is set apart from everything else in all of His nature, all of who He is. And He's unlike, He's, He's higher than any other. He's greater than any other. That God is better than anything in that this world could ever offer us. That ought to bring us to a place of awe and adoration. That we say, God, you are holy. You are set apart. There's nothing like you. Well, this ought to be part of your prayer life. When you're praying, this ought to be part of your prayer life. God, thank you. That there is nothing else like you. God, I thank you, Lord, that you came and that you would care for me. God, I thank you. And I'm, I'm in awe of who you are. This ought to be part just of, of, of who we or how we express our, our love to God. Is, is just understanding that there's nothing like him that he is set apart. And I know I'm just parking here for a minute. But, but we need to truly understand the God that we serve that he is unlike anything else. He is unlike anybody else. And we ought to adore him. We ought to be in awe of who he is. But God, he's the one who sets the standard for all other holiness. That God who is holy is the one who gets to tell people, or he's the one who gets to set the standard for, for everything else as far as what is holy. I tell people often when I'm, when I'm speaking to them about salvation that the good news is that God wants us to go to heaven. 
the bad news is that we are, the bad news is that unless we are perfect, we can't go there. So we've already messed up when we've already missed it. The good news is that God came in flesh and that he made us perfect in himself. So there's the good news that God is perfect. The bad news is we can't get to heaven unless we're perfect. The good news, though, is that he said that I will come in your place and I will die so that you can be perfect and that you can make it to heaven. There's good news. Thank God for that. And so God's holiness is the thing that sets the standard. It's not this church or, or some other church or denomination or religion that gets to set the standard for holiness. It's God who sets the standard for holiness. It's the word of God that establishes what is holy. And so we don't make any apologies if God says, well, I want this. If God wants that, then I'm going to do it. If God, you know, we're not trying to compare notes with somebody else. It's not a moving standard with what somebody else may say. My standard is what does God say? That's God sets the standard for holiness. And God's holiness is always higher than the highest holiness of men and of angels. You know, we, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. He's all, another place that says be perfect. Uh, this is it's a, really a standard that we cannot reach. We cannot be Holy in all the essence and all the ways that God is holy. We cannot be perfect because we've already messed up. But we can strive for maturity, strive for perfection, strive for that. It ought to be something that we're striving for. Not just saying, well, here I am. And I'm always going to make mistakes and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be satisfied with just making mistakes all the time. That's not to say that we get down in the dumps every time you fall, every time you make a mistake. Get back up and try again. Get back up and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to repent. I'm going to return back to you. And so we're, it's not to stay down. It's not to, but, but it's, it's something to strive for. It's something to, to mature in. So God, His holiness is, is higher and, and greater, but he, He's calling us to live a life of maturity, to live a life of holiness. It necessitates God's opposition to and, and, and condemnation of all sin. God's holiness necessitates His opposition to and His condemnation of sin. What I mean is, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate, they disobeyed God, they, they ate of the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden you have sin, this black mark on humanity that comes into man, uh, comes to the heart of man, and here we have a problem, because now we have sin, mankind, humankind has sin, and we now are in opposition to God, and God condemns sin, and so this is, this is what sets God apart, is that he's saying my holiness has no sin in it. Now humanity does have sin. So there is this thing that is, is in us that's now in opposition to God. But his holiness also awakens and deepens our consciousness of our own sin. That the fact that God is holy, if you stand in his presence, you look at yourself and you are like David when you say, oh, what a sinner I am. Who am I that thou art mindful of me? That here, who, who am I, God? I am, I am a wretch, God. I, I'm the one, this, as the song says, that he, he, he came to save a wretch like me. I, I'm, I'm this one, and, and we realize, you know, in ourselves that we have sin in our life, but it awakens in us this, it awakens in us this, this, um, uh, recognition of of our own sinfulness and it ought to when you're in the presence of god strive put something in you that where you strive to be holy where you strive to get better where you strive to rid yourself of that sin where you strive to be more like god and so it sets before men their highest possible aspiration 
which is to be holy as God is holy. This is what God's holiness does. It awakens in us a desire to be more like him. God's holiness brings in us, uh, brings about in us, when we get into his presence, a desire to draw closer to him. But man, however, has a fallen nature and we don't, we have no holiness in us. We don't have this holiness in us. And see, we, we don't have it in us, but that's why God is the one. He says it's through me. It's through my spirit. As we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, it's through his spirit that he is the one who brings about holiness in us. Okay, we have this uh, little chart there, this, or these arrows in your notes on the holiness. And this, this holiness, it comes, this word comes from some of the earliest cultures on earth. It's in the Acadian Peninsula and the Sumerian culture that was there. And some of the earliest cultures, long before the Jews, uh, long before the Hebrews, uh, you have these, these people in the, the region of Sumer, the Akkadian Peninsula, who had this word, holiness. And the origin of this comes from these cultures. And it, it's, it's this word that, as far as we can understand it today, it's this word, Kadesh. Q-O-D-E-S-H would be our transliterated uh, word that uh, is, is of the Hebrew language, which for them was really borrowed from these other languages. And uh, this word Kadesh, and later in the Greek, is this word Hagiasone. Both of these words mean holy, and both of these words mean to withdraw. Kadesh means withdrawn. Hagiasone means withdrawn. But you cannot be holy just by withdrawing from something. You have to be drawn to something as well. This understanding of of being withdrawn is not simply being withdrawn from the world because there's a lot of people who they would try to withdraw from the world in one aspect or another. I mean, you have some who would take it to the extreme. They'll withdraw from the world and make themselves uh, hermits or they'll make themselves, you know, somebody who who is completely shut out from the world. And, 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 that's, that's an extreme that, that someone, some may go to. But, but God is, is calling us to withdraw from the world, but, but more so to draw unto God. He's drawing us out from the world into relationship with Him. So holiness has two parts. Two parts. Separate from the world, or withdraw from the world, and Come unto God. Separation from the world and coming unto God. So there's two parts to holiness. Coming out from the world and coming unto God. This is the definition of holiness. Just like I had said last week that uh, baptism doesn't even make sense. Sprinkling does not make sense uh, for, for baptism because the very definition of the word baptism uh, means to immerse under the water. The same is true for holiness. Unless you have withdrawn from the world, unless you are, unless you are uh, withdrawing yourself from the things of the world and drawing unto God, then it doesn't. It's not holiness because that is the definition of what holiness is. It is withdrawing from the world and, and separating yourself unto God. There's those two parts, two er- two areas. Now, if, as we turn your, your notes over to the back, I want to address this, this thing that really we brought up last week as we were talking about salvation. But salvation it is something that uh, the A.W. Post, he was a uh, Bible college teacher at, um, uh, and a pastor up in Canada. And he, he said this phrase, I heard him, heard him say this uh, particular phrase, uh, as he was teaching on salvation, he said that salvation is the most elastic term in the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Maybe it doesn't make sense when you first hear that. But what he meant by saying that salvation is a very elastic term is that is meaning that salvation, it stretches. It, it has different applications in our life. It has different 
ways that we see it applied to our to people's lives in different times, different time periods. And and here's hopefully I can bring this out. Um, the first way that we see salvation come out in our life is through justification. The second area that that we see salvation applied to our life is through sanctification. And the third is through glorification. Now, again, maybe you're like, okay, none of this, those words don't make any more sense to me than just saying that, uh, you know, salvation. So justification, sanctification, glorification, all of these three terms here, they have, uh, they are connected to salvation. So let's try to parse these three different areas of salvation. The first, there's justification. And justification is, is really this first process of what salvation does. This is something that happened for most of us here in the past. That when you repented of your sins and when you were baptized in Jesus' name, when you are filled with the Spirit, it's at that moment that you were justified by God. That before God, in that moment, you're standing there and you're perfect. Before God, you are not holy. Before God, you are his child. You have been justified. Justified. Heard it said, just, just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. That my sins have been pardoned as far as the east is to the west. That I've been justified before God. And for, so for all of us who, who have experienced this justification, this is in the past. And so you could say, my salvation came in the past. I have been saved. This is something that for me I experienced in my past. That for me salvation or justification took place in my past. But then there's this other process that is the will of God for every Christian, and it's the process of sanctification. And remember, sanctification is this synonym for the word holiness. So, so we have this process of holiness or separation. And all of that happens in our present. Every day that I live, I am being sanctified by God's Spirit. This is ongoing. I'm constantly being separated from the world. So if you live for God for 10 years, there ought to be a continual separation. And perhaps for you, that continue as you mature, there's more and more things that, that you realize, hey, this isn't good for me. I, I ought to lay this down. This is not helping me in my walk with God. And so as you mature and you have experience in life and you are in relationship with God, he will cause, call you to sanctification. There, is, there are different things in your life. And as I said, this may be personal just to you. Something that you struggle with. And so God starts dealing with you in sanctification and saying, Hey, lay this down so that you can draw closer to me. This is sanctification. But this is happening in my present. Right now, sanctification is happening. But in the future... There's this process called glorification. This is when the rapture happens. This is when we get to heaven. Our bodies will be glorified. And that is going to happen in our future. And so, so just as salvation was uh, taking place at justification, salvation is also taking place in sanctification in our present. But salvation is going to take place in glorification when we finally make it to heaven. And our bodies will be glorified. And so, as we were saying, this is the most elastic term in the Bible because I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. All three of those are true. That I had a moment or moments of, of repentance and being baptized, receiving the Holy Ghost, that at that moment I was saved. And thank God for it. That right now I am being saved even from my present world because of sanctification. And then there will be a day 
when I will be saved and I will be glorified. And so this is a complete work that's being done in us. So every day that I live, this is what's happening to me. It's very, very important that we understand that scripture uh, that, that we started with as well, that was saying that this is something that happens in our mind, our, our body, our soul, our spirit, every part of us, this is happening. And so that same thing could be applied here. You see past, present, future, justification, sanctification, glorification, but also we see how our spirit, our mind, and our body are all affected by justification sanctification, and glorification. That in justification, my spirit, my spirit was saved. I'm now a child of God. That in sanctification, my mind, the things in my mind, the battleground in my mind, these things that I'm still fighting, I may be a child of God, I may have been saved, I may be in relationship with God, but my mind is still a battleground and I have to decide whether or not I'm going to separate myself from the world, whether or not sanctification is going to take place in my life. And so sanctification happens in, in our mind, but in glorification, my body is going to be raptured up and my body will be changed. So we see our spirit, our mind, and our body is changed through justification, sanctification, and glorification. And then thirdly here, we see something that is, is talking of, of, you know, the penalty that uh, was of sin. And when I repented of my sins, when I was baptized in Jesus' name, when I received the Holy Ghost, the penalty of sin is what I was saved from. But it's the power of sin that I'm able to overcome through sanctification. And when I finally experience glorification... I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin because there is no sin in heaven. And so we, we receive power over the, or we, we are saved from the penalty of sin and, and, uh, justification. We are saved or we are given power over sin in sanctification and we are removed from the presence of sin in glorification. So we see all these things that are, that are happening in our past, in our present, in our future. But one thing that we really ought to focus on is our present right now. I'm thankful for the past. And if that hasn't, if, you, if that's not the past for you, if you haven't, um, if you haven't been justified, if you haven't repented and baptized, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, I encourage you to experience that. But I know here tonight, uh, at least present in here, um, we have most of us that is in our past, that part of it. Uh, but how about our present of sanctification piece of what God ought to do in our life? This is something that we really ought to look at, something that we ought to uh, examine for ourselves, is what happens in this sanctification. And so, you know, I skipped over this, this little part here about what justification. So justification, the work of justification saves you, but the work of sanctification matures you. This is something that you, you really need to understand, that justification saves you, sanctification matures you. Now, I believe, I truly believe that, that you are saved only through the obedience of the gospel. That is what saves you. That is, that is the thing that, that saves you, is through obedience to the gospel. And... This very important principle about, about the maturity that takes place in sanctification is an understanding that, that through that, God is, is, is weeding out the things of the world from our life. See, repentance is a salvation issue. You cannot be saved without repenting. Baptism is a salvation issue. You cannot be in covenant with God without baptism. The Holy Ghost is a salvation issue. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
That's the only way that your body, your mortal body would be quickened up and, and, and caught away is, is because of the spirit that is in you. And I've heard some people say, well, that's going to get you ready for the rapture day. It's going to get you off the ground. That's the thing that's going to do. Let your mortal body uh, be quickened. But long before that happens, quicken means to give enabling power. It's going to give you the enabling power to live for God. And you have eternal life in you right now because of the Holy Ghost. And you need that. The Holy Ghost is going to quicken some things inside of you. It's going to, it's going to enable you to have power over sin. It's going to enable you to become mature. And as you mature, and as your relationship with God grows closer and closer, you will learn that there's things that God loves and there's things that God despises. The truth is that some people be satisfied with knowing that they've checked off the boxes of repentance and baptism in the Holy Ghost, and they say, why do any more? You know, I've stepped past the line. I've done enough. I've done enough to get into heaven. Why do I need to do anything else? But what you're really saying when you say that is, what is the least that I have to do to get by? All right, today, today is my 15-year anniversary for me and my wife. 15 years. Yeah. It's amazing. We've, we have been together, because we dated for almost five years before that, about and uh, so we've been together for well over half of our life. But I can guarantee you that my marriage, that our marriage, never would have lasted if I would have just asked my wife, just told her, honey, what's the least that I can do to get by? Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you know, what's, what is the least amount of time that you need from me? What's the least amount of affection that I need to show you? Or what is the least amount of hugs that I need to give you every day? You know, just, just give me a number. Just give me a number so that I can at least pass that number. And once we do that, then we're good. And what's, what's the least? Yeah, what's the least amount of time? What's, what's the least that I need to do? No, it's not really going to last very long if all I'm trying to do is the least. See, marriage is about selling out. Marriage is about wanting to please them wholly, completely. And living for God is the same way. It's not giving God just part of what we have, but it's giving Him all of what we have. And when you come into relationship with Him, it's not about just trying to barely scoop by to get into heaven. We ought to be in love with God completely and wholly. And if God loves something, then we ought to love it too. And if God hates something, then we ought to hate it too. We need to change some things about our likes and our dislikes. Our habits ought to change because this is what God likes and what he dislikes. And there's things, there's convictions in us that ought to be set in place because of the God in whom we are now in relationship. So if God convicts us of something that we're doing, it shouldn't matter whether or not the word of God even states it word for word that we should stop doing it. If God convicts us, stop doing it. If God tells you, hey, stop going into that bar. Well, the Bible never says that I'm not allowed to step foot into the bar. <laughs> okay? If God convicts you of that, well, let's stop. If God convicts you and tells you, hey, put your, put your phone into the other room, you know, when you're going to bed. Stop. Don't, don't have that. Well, the Bible doesn't tell me how to, tell me to do that. That seems really silly. Well, if God convicted you, let the convictions be established in you out of a relationship with God. These are things that, that ought to, we ought to be maturing in Christ and allow Him to establish some things in our life that it may not be word for word. There's some, there's some really, uh, uh, principled things in Scripture 
that we need to set some some bars in our life, set some things in our life through sanctification where we aren't going to live like the world and practice like the world and talk like the world. And we're not going to do the things that the world does. And it's all born out of relationship with God and Him speaking to us on separating from the world unto Him. That is the process of sanctification. And so if you hear tonight are saying, well, the Bible never says that I need to do that in order to get to heaven. Well, you're right. The Bible says that we need to obey the gospel. And that through that, we have justification. But in sanctification, he's drawing us to him. And that through that, no man shall see God without holiness in their life. No man shall experience him without that holiness that is where we are drawing away from the world and unto God. Amen. Let's, let's just look, and I'll just finish here. Uh, we have 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, where it is, uh, let's see, in the Old Testament. So this is the prophet Samuel. He's sent to anoint a king over Israel. He's uh, doing this. This is David who he comes to, and he tells him, he says, man, looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And this is the scripture that some people quote to say that any time, any type of external holiness standards don't matter because God is just looking at the heart. But this is not at all what God is trying to express when he is, when the prophet is speaking these words. God is saying, I'm looking for a heart that's open to me, a heart that's open to be led by God. That's that's what God is, is saying when he says that it's not about the outward appearance here. I, I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking for a heart that is connected to me, a heart that will change the things that they do because it's connected to me. He's looking for someone who listens to his desires and acts upon them. He's looking for someone who, who wants a relationship with him. Now, there's another conversation that the prophet Samuel has with the first king of Israel, King Saul, and he had to correct the king because he had disobeyed the orders that God had given him. He had rebelled against the instructions that God had given him. And Samuel said uh, to him, he says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. You have rejected, uh, he also has rejected you from being king. So he says here that witchcraft is the act of opening yourself up to, to the evil side. This is what witchcraft is. It's, it's, it's allowing, or it's, it's when you rebel against God and God's spirit, and you are, by your rebellion, opening yourself up to the things that are of evil, of evil influence. And so it's really important that all those sanctification issues in and of themselves are not salvation issues. If you rebel against God's leading in God's teaching, if you rebel against God when he's saying, hey, stop doing that. Stop saying that. Stop going there. Stop wearing that. Stop. When, when you're rebelling against God, when God is leading you down this path of sanctification, when you cut his voice off, well, there's rebellion. Rebellion is a salvation issue. And so as, we, as you are in tune with God and as you draw closer to God, there are things that God will reveal to you that are salvation issues because it's God leading you in this path. And he's saying, this is an area of sanctification. So it's very important for you to put these things in, in their proper place. Okay, I want to, so I said, uh, let's, let's finish off here with these very practical things, God's expectations for his people, just these last four points that are on your page, that God does have some expectations for his people. One, number one, is that uh, holiness is an absolute requirement for Christians. It's in First Peter chapter 1. We're just going to try to cement this lesson here tonight with, uh, with some... Scripture, as I said, we're just going to let the Word of God speak to us. Uh, so submit this here tonight. First Peter chapter 1, 
Verse 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. This is God's uh, call and his command to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So this is in us. We are the temple of God. We, we are the ones who have his Spirit dwelling in us. And if we defile that, or if we allow things into our, in our, into our body, into our life, that uh, is defiling what God has called sacred or what God has called holy, then he says, uh, him shall God destroy. It's a salvation issue. For the temple of God is holy. Okay. Next point. Holiness must involve separation from the world. Second Corinthians 6, 17 through 7, 1. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That, he says, be ye separate, and through that you are perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You're cleansing yourself from all filthiness of the flesh, You're in all the filthiness of the spirit, all these things. You're perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Next, God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. And we could have a Bible study of much further length um, on this particular issue, but I'm just going to read these couple of verses here tonight uh, on, this, uh, on this topic here, that this external witness of our internal holiness. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Just present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as something that is holy, acceptable to God. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't take on the same form of the world. Don't look like the world. Don't act like the world. That is conforming to the world. When you do that, it says instead, I want you to be transformed, or you must be transformed. And that begins by the renewal of the mind. That begins right in here with your thoughts. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. There should be an external witness of the internal holiness by the things that you do. The works that you do. So when I'm talking about this external witness, don't just say, he's talking just about the way that we dress or the way that we look. No, no, the things that we do is this external witness. The way that people see us, the way that people perceive us, this External witness of our internal holiness. The things that we do, there ought to be good works that take place. And that is shining a light upon uh, among others about who Jesus is and that relationship that we have in him. First Timothy chapter uh, 5, verse 24 and 25. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. It says they're good works. These things that we do externally, that they, they're manifest beforehand. They're seen by others beforehand. And they that are otherwise cannot be hid. There's, there's other things that, that we do. And we cannot hide the things that we are doing for God. There ought to be an external witness of the internal holiness. Next. First Corinthians, or sorry, First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, verse twenty-nine. This will be our final scripture for uh, for tonight. First Chronicles sixteen twenty-nine. Give unto the Lord the glory that's due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
I just want to break that down. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Worship here in the Hebrew is this word shaka, which means to bow down, to do obeisance, to stoop, to, to prostrate oneself, to submit to. To submit yourself to the Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah, the self-existing one, the, this one who is, who is God. Submit yourself to God in the beauty of holiness. Beauty here is this word hadara. It means the holy adornment, the glory, the comeliness, the, the ornament or the external adornment. The external adornment, the, the beauty, the, the external adornment that we have, the things that others see, this adornment, the external adornment of holiness, apartness, separateness, consecrated, being separated. So in ourselves, the way that others see us, it ought to, we ought to dis- be on display as looking different from the world, having an external adornment. That is, when, with us being submitted to God with an external adornment that's separating us from the world. That we have been clothed in the beauty of holiness. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about them seeing God in us. Or God, when they look at us, when somebody looks at you, they should know there's something different about them. There's something different about that person. When they hear you talk, there's something different about that person. I want to be like that someday. That you ought to draw people to you. I hate, I, I hate it when there's when there's Christians that that they've got this frown on their face and they're you know just like look like they have a sour attitude all the time about everything. How is that? Putting on an external adornment. How, how is that putting on the beauty of holiness for others to see, see God in us? How is that attracting somebody to say, man, I want to be like that? How, how are we putting on an outward display of, of God, of God to others? You know, when we are, when we are just sour all the time. No, no. I want, I want when others see me, to see me, I want when they see me for them to see something that draws them to God. Not draw them to me, but I want them to be drawn to God. I want when they see the way that I live my life, for them to be drawn to God. That's what holiness is all about. It's drawn out from the world unto God, so that when others see us without holiness, no man shall see God. So when others see us, they can see the pathway to God. When others see our life, so I, I just want to just drop this, I guess, this final thing here. It says, holiness is not a means of earning salvation, but it's a result of it. That because I've been saved, because I've been saved, I am separating from the world. Because I've been saved, there's a separation that happens because I'm now in a relationship with God. And so I just, I just want to encourage you tonight that as you, uh, as you are pursuing God as you're in relationship with God. It's not about a contest with the person sitting next to you. It's not about comparison with the person sitting next to you. It's about a relationship with God. And all of this ought to come uh, in any kind of, of, uh, of holiness, any kind of sanctification needs to be born out of relationship with God. And as you come into relationship with God, just allow him to speak to you. Just allow him to come and to change areas of your life. And so for us tonight, when, when you have somebody sitting next to you, it's not for you to judge somebody else. It's about relationship that you have. It's not for you to judge the person that's, that's coming into the church. If they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, they've been baptized, they've repented, and they're just as saved as anybody else that's sitting here. So let's allow God to begin this process of sanctification in us so that one day we can also see the glorification uh, that that's going to come past in the future, Amen. I want to let's let's all stand here tonight. Let's try to let out by quarter after. I think we we do have just a a minute or so here. If we can 
uh, just lift up our hands. I, I always just want to finish. I know this isn't necessarily an altar call type of message, but let's just let's just open up our our uh, hands and uh, and lift them up to Him, so that we can just call out the name of God and just say, Lord, if there's any area in me, Lord, that needs to be changed, if there's any area of sanctification, Lord, that I'm rebelling against, if there's anything that you've been speaking to me about, God, that I've let back on or I've relinquished. Lord, I pray that you would just help me right now, Lord, that I could submit myself to you. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us here tonight, Lord, and that in everything that we do, Lord, that we would submit ourselves. God, that in everything that we do, Lord, that we would be drawn unto you and that we would be holy, a holy people. God, that here tonight, Lord, that your church, that the body of Christ, would put on display, Lord, the, the holiness of God. Lord, not in a haughty way, God, not in a way that's about look at me, but, Lord, so that we can draw others to God. Lord, I pray that somebody might see me in my good actions. and that They might see me in my good works, Lord, and they may see you through that. Lord, I pray that I could... Be a positive influence in those around me, God, that as I am a disciple of Christ, Lord, that I would allow you to continue to change me and change areas of me, Lord. And through that, Lord, we see the holiness of God, the separation from the world come to pass in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you here tonight. Amen. Let's go. Let's be the church everywhere that we go this week. We'll see you.